Hello and welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Sunday, March 5th. Amanda Borshel Dan here with our Knesset correspondent Carrie Keller-Lynn and military correspondent Emmanuel Fabian. Hello to you both. Hi. Hi, good morning. Pupils throughout Israel went to school in fancy dress today ahead of the Purim holiday. Many of them were up late last night, however, attending what organizers claim is the largest collective turnout to the anti-judicial overhaul protests. Carrie will fill us in with more. Manny is here with updates on whether the perpetrators of last week's bloody terrorist attacks and the rampage on the Arab town of Hurara are indeed being apprehended. But first, a word from our sponsors. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org slash wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. And we're back. Carrie, organizers claim that some 400,000 came out throughout the country to the many judicial overhaul protests. I understand that in Tel Aviv, at least, police again used horse-mounted cops and water cannons against the demonstrators as they sought to disperse them. What else can you tell us? Um, I would say that's a, a very, considered a very extreme measure. And this is now the second time that water cannons, which are filled with a really disgusting fluid. Um, and mounted police were used against protesters in Tel Aviv. I'll remind you, this also happened on Wednesday and led to about 11 injuries among the protesters, and there were over 50 arrests. I think last night, right now, the figures I have, about four were detained. Um, Also, Haaretz, another Israeli newspaper, claimed that this actually happened when protesters were already leaving the island highway. Um, of course, if you remember, both the police and our police minister, Itamar Bengvir, um, had vowed not to let protesters block the highway. This is definitely a sign that nine weeks in, protests are increasingly more tense um, as protesters feel frustrated that judicial reform continues apace and police are increasingly uh, feeling pressure from Bengvir to lay down a response that he would feel is appropriate. I understand that on Thursday, there's another planned day of disturbance. Do we have any details yet about this? It's going to be much like it was uh, last week, uh, similar protests all over Israel uh, during the day, during a work day, uh, blocking key roads, blocking people from using public transportation. We had people blocking the main train stations in Tel Aviv last week. Uh, These were very tense protests. Uh, These were not protests uh, overwhelmingly attended by what Ben Gvir is called anarchists or what your Netanyahu, the prime minister's son, calls terrorists. A lot of the people in attendance when I were there had badges uh, from their tech jobs. Um, But 
a lot of the people there also deeply, deeply care about what is happening in this country and feel that the uh, coalition's push to overhaul the judiciary and reduce its power dramatically and to increase political power is something that will change Israel's system of governance. And so I, I expect on Thursday we'll we'll see, unfortunately, uh, a replay of some of the actions we saw on Wednesday, both in terms of um, tension coming from the side of the protesters as well as police response. Okay, thank you, Carrie. Manny, on Friday, we reported that IDF soldiers clashed with hundreds of left-wing Israeli activists trying to enter the West Bank Palestinian town of Hurara on a solidarity visit following the deadly settler rampage there earlier in the week. Now, things are obviously still very tense on the ground in the area after dozens, if not hundreds, of extreme right-wing Israeli settlers torched the village. And on Thursday, a Jerusalem court ordered police to release all of the suspects, but the defense ministry signed off on an administrative detention order for two of them, including one minor. What does all of this mean in terms of what we know about the perpetrators and who is in custody? Right. So according to a legal aid organization representing the suspects, uh, Honeno, seven of the suspects were brought uh, to the Jerusalem's uh, magistrate's court uh, for a remand hearing on Thursday after their arrest the day earlier. And according to Haneno, due to lack of evidence uh, of their involvement in the rioting, the court ordered uh, their release. There were seven suspects still held. There was an eighth who had been released uh, shortly after being questioned. And then right after they were released, the uh, defense minister, Yoav Gallant, signed off on an administrative detention order, uh, which is this order which allows people to be held um, without charge, practically indefinitely. Uh, they're not granted access to any evidence against them. It's mostly used against Palestinians. So there's around a thousand Palestinians currently held under this order. Very few Jews are held under this. So right now there's two. I believe there's a few other Jews currently being held under the same order. And right now it, it the order does expire in, in July, July 1st, but it, it, they, these kind of orders are usually extended further. According to defense sources, um, they say that the pair, um, the 29-year-old and the 17-year-old minor uh, were involved in in the riots, despite them not presenting evidence during the court hearing. Um, and they say that they are dangerous and planning further attacks against um, against Palestinians and against Israeli security forces. Before that, there were another eight people who were arrested. They have all been released. Uh, three of them to house arrest, uh, a brief house arrest. So one of them, I think, has already completed his house arrest. Okay, now earlier in the week, Israeli troops arrested the alleged terrorists who carried out a deadly shooting attack on Monday that killed the Israeli-American Ilan Ganelis near Jericho. What can you tell us about this raid and what is the status of their detention? Right, so Israeli troops entered the Aqabat Jaber refugee camp near Jericho, very close to where this attack took place last week. Um, they received intelligence from the Shimbet security agency uh, as to where they were hiding out. Um, the troops entered the refugee camp when they were given the information of their exact exact location of where the terrorists were. Um, they located them. There wasn't really much clashes in there like we've seen in other Palestinian cities. But basically, the troops reached this apartment, they called on the Palestinians to leave, they uh, fired a missile at the building to try and flush them out, and eventually the two suspects did leave the building, 
um, and showed the forces where uh, where the gun was, the, apparently the gun used in the attack, and they were both arrested. But shortly after, two more men tried to flee from the building, possibly uh, people who were involved also in planning the attack. Um, they both tried to flee. One of them was shot dead um, during this during this attempt to flee. The second one was also arrested, uh, and he's being questioned over his uh, involvement in the attack. Okay, we'll go to a short break now. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I've found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. You know, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We are privileged to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. And we're back. Carry on the heels of the riots in Hurara, several politicians have weighed in, causing waves of response, of course. But one of them is the finance minister, Betsala Smotrich, also the head of the religious Zionist party. First of all, explain to us what he said and what are the results and ongoing results, aren't they? Also an independent second minister in the defense ministry responsible for West Bank building policy, which is important Correct. because Hawara is a Palestinian village in the West Bank. Um Smoltrich said a few days after a Sunday attack, uh, that a terror attack um, that killed two Israeli uh, brothers and was followed by a reprisal of really described as a rampage um, where Jewish settlers beset upon the town of War, where the terror attack happened and, and committed widespread arson, uh, resulted in the death of one Palestinian man by, fi- by live fire. Uh, Smoltrich said that he thinks that the village of Hawara needs to be wiped out and he said that the state of Israel should do it rather than um, leaving it to vigilante mob justice. Now, these comments drew fierce criticism from the U.S., from the U.N., from Jordan, the UAE, Israel's new presumptive uh, future peace partner, Saudi Arabia, really caused a firestorm and even um, caused the U.S. to contemplate not giving him a visa for his upcoming trip there uh, this month. Um Smoltrich yesterday sort of did a mea culpa. He said that the remarks were an emotional slip of the tongue. Uh, This is days after he made them. He said that it it goes without saying that he didn't call for violence. Um, Yet he also refused to specifically condemn the rampage as Jewish terror. And he said and said it was a, a quote, very serious nationalist crime, but not terror. And again, uh, emphasized his view that Hawara itself, that Palestinian village, is a village beset by terror. Uh, Netanyahu uh, praised Smotrich for for seeing this. Um, He did not... Um, he said that Smotrich did not um, intend his comments to lead to collective punishment. Um, and Netanyahu also threw kind of a quip in there, uh, a snide at U.S. Ambassador Tom Nides, 
um, who Channel 12 had reported, uh, said that Smolchik should be left off the plane um, in terms of coming to Washington. And, and Nides' team, obviously, have uh, firstly denied that remark. So this really did cause sort of a, an international crisis as well as a firestorm within Israel itself. Uh, Smolchik does a 180 on the remarks, but not a full 180. Maybe we'd call it a 175. When is Smotrich meant to travel to the U.S. again? Uh, Smotrich is supposed to travel next week to the U.S. to attend an Israel Bonds conference. Of course, many from the Jewish community um, called to uninvite him, especially following the inflammatory remarks about Hawara. Okay, so to be continued on this, I suspect. All right, Manny, let's turn back to you. Late last night, a soldier was arrested for attempting to smuggle two Palestinians through a checkpoint. Is this a rare occurrence and why would he do that? Yeah, this is a pretty rare occurrence. I mean, we've seen this sort of thing before, um, where soldiers who are working at checkpoints will turn a blind eye and let Palestinians through without permits uh, in exchange for a bribe of some kind. Um, it's not, I mean, it's not super uncommon, but, it, you know, it, it's happened here here and there in recent years. Uh, but what we saw last night at the Rantith checkpoint, which is near the Israeli city of Elad, was an off-duty soldier uh, driving through the checkpoint um, with two Palestinians in his car, attempting to, um, you know, help them go through the checkpoint, uh, possibly in exchange for a bribe. It's not quite clear yet what the agreement there was. Um, but he was caught by... Uh, military police soldiers um, with these two Palestinians in his car. Apparently, they did not have permits to enter Israel, uh, and he was arrested, and he's now being questioned by the um, military police's uh, criminal investigations unit. Just a very strange incident. The soldiers of the uh, Netzach Yehuda uh, battalion, which uh, moved from its permanent um, uh, deployment to the West Bank to the northern border right now. It's in the southern Golan for the first time in 20 or so years. So it's very strange and we'll we'll have to see once he's finished being questioned and the army releases a bit more information as to what really transpired there. Okay, check the website for updates. Now finally, Carrie, we again have, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, what appears to be another stormy week for and against the judicial overhaul. Tell us what we can look out for, at least in the halls of the Knesset. So we have a stormy week that is being advanced a little bit in its timeline because of Purim. So today we're going to expect a special session of the Knesset plenum to start pumping through legislation. Uh, the plenum's agenda has not fully been set yet, but the things that we could expect um, would include a, a bill that would enable uh, politicians to accept certain donations, um, which uh, most specifically might allow uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to keep uh, a gift that he received, about $250,000 gift from his late cousin, uh, which the court had ordered for him to return. Um, in addition to that, we might also see a bill that would push back appointment deadlines for the Judicial Selection Committee, uh, currently slated for mid-month. But as you might remember, the coalition is trying to drastically change the composition of that committee, such that politicians from the coalition would hold control over all judicial appointments, and so are trying to pause any sort of nomination to that committee. In addition, the Knesset also advances bills through its committee process of vote in committee to enable one of the key uh, legislation pieces in this reform, 
something that will create a preemptive override over the Supreme Court's ability to even review a law, as well as um, constrain the ability of the court to review basic laws. And if it can't even review a law at all, say that it needs 12 of the 15 judges to uh, agree to strike down a law. Um, That should be approved finally for its first reading in the Knesset uh, later today. Uh, And then there will also be committee discussion ongoing on a bill that might help uh, Shas leader Arya Dari return to power in the cabinet by saying that the court cannot exercise any review over ministerial appointments. Remember, the court said that his uh, appointment was unreasonable and extreme and forced Netanyahu to fire him, as well as a bill that would block uh, the attorney general from forcing uh, prime ministerial recusal for any reason other than mental or physical fitness. Again, the attorney general um, has hinted that Netanyahu might need to recuse himself given his conflict of interest uh, over judicial reform because he has three ongoing criminal corruption cases. Okay, anyone who didn't follow all of that, and that is a lot, can please check out an article that uh, Carrie wrote, and I'll leave a link in our program notes explaining what's happening, what what is expected to happen as well in the judicial overhaul. Can I give one more note on that? There's a sure. reason why it's so it's so confusing because it is so complex and is happening so quickly. It is really astounding. The coalition plans to pass everything I mentioned plus more by the end of this session, which would be within a month, within a month, and it would drastically rewrite the rules of the game. It would drastically change the power of the Supreme Court and uh, definitely create uh, Knesset supremacy over that court. And so there are a lot of moving pieces to do that. Each reform itself uh, would not achieve that full picture, but when put together, really the the picture is court power decreasing, uh, Knesset power increasing, such to the point that the court might not even be an effective check on the Knesset anymore. And listeners, anyone who is interested in hearing why for Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu this is so uh, important that he pushed through all the complete package, please check out our What Matters Now interview with our senior analyst, Chaviv Retegur, that was released on Friday. There will also be a link in our program notes. Carrie, Manny, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. Until next time. Shalom. Shalom.